0: will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. As we continue in our mini-series today on prayer, we come to the subject that perhaps you anticipated. I dealt with what prayer is and the three parts of prayer. As prayer is our offering up, to God, our desires and faith, with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies, three parts to that in our asking, our adoring, and our admitting. We've talked about those uh, some, and then last week we talked about how to give God glory, and that was through the confession of sin. As I've been talking to you about your commitment to this season of prayer, as we as a church have committed to this, and as you've been Going through it, taking a, a half hour on Saturday mornings to pray, what I've found is that first off, we needed a little bit more help with that center section of, of confession of sin, admitting what we've done and violating God's commandments to the Lord. So we, we focused on that last week. Now today, I'm sure you knew which way we were going to go because you know what next week is, right? Today we're going to deal with asking things of the Lord, and then next week before Thanksgiving we'll talk about how to adore Him, to thank Him and praise Him. So that's what we'll be uh, continuing in, uh, in our series. As far as getting back to Route 66, we will get there eventually. It may be cut up a little bit, I may get into Job a little bit or the Psalms in the months of December, I'm not sure, but we can't finish it before the new year and before Christmas. So things will get divided up there, but that's, that's what we have going forward, all right? So today, we're going to look at Jesus' instruction. As you know, Jesus set forth a model prayer, and this will help us. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, today let's consider our Father in heaven and the requests that we make of him. Let's pray. Father, as we again bend ourself before you. We just want to say it again because we often forget. We need you. We need your words. And even as it's been said, as you said, what you say is more necessary than the food that we eat. So, Lord, we ask that we would feast in this next half hour. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of food, when I was a child, I could ride my bike a few blocks, park it outside the McDonald's, walk in, and order number one for $2.99, and I could supersize it for just 39 cents more. I tell you, those were the days. Those were the days. Now, a lot of things have changed. Obviously, prices have gone way up, but even the way you order is different I mean, gone are the days when you could just say, I want number one. I remember the first time I went to a restaurant like Moe's or Core Life, and you see all those options on the menu. You see, you can customize everything. You can have a bowl or a burrito. You can have a selection of meats, a selection of cheeses and sauces and, and vegetables. There's so much available, but... I don't know what I ought to put together I don't know how good what goes with what and I stand there as the line piles up behind me perplexed because I don't know what to get it would have been so much easier just say I'll have number one and that might be how you feel when you pray you don't know what to ask God for I mean you can't ask for everything right I mean, it's not like making a Christmas list, and you will receive the Amazon holiday gift book in the mail, the Target toy catalog in the mail, modern renditions of the old Sears catalog. Perhaps you circled everything you wanted in that book, and you made sure to give it to mom and dad. But are you allowed to ask for whatever you want of God, and how much of anything you want from God? And that's a real question, because God says, ask and you will receive. Whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive. So sometimes we might think that prayer is kind of like a shopping spree that never ends. And this is great. But of course, that's not the case. It's not the case that we just ask for anything and as much as we want. The truth is that we really don't know what to ask for when we pray. We know that because that's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know what to pray as we ought. You know, those who were closest to Jesus when he was on earth, they understood that precisely. Because one day they heard Jesus pray And on an occasion, they mustered up the strength, the courage of heart to ask Jesus, will you help us pray? Will you teach us to pray? Luke chapter 11, verse 1. So if you feel perplexed at times of what you should ask God for when you pray, don't feel bad. God's people have understood that feeling for years and years. You're not alone. So let's humbly acknowledge that we need help to know what to ask for when we pray. And the good news is that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And so we can learn from his lesson for them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and following. Read with me in your Bibles. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. That's the model prayer that Jesus gave. You see, Jesus didn't simply say, well, just rely on the Holy Spirit or just say whatever comes to mind. Or he didn't say, well, prayer can't be taught. Instead, He told his disciples exactly how to pray. Say this, pray these kinds of things. So this morning I'd like to invite us to learn to pray from Jesus as he taught his disciples. And I'm going to break this model prayer up into two parts. You say, why two parts? Well, do you know why? I mean, can you figure it out? Because I'm going to break it up between verses 10 and 11. Do you know why that is? Let me read it for you again, and I'm going to highlight something for you. Look at your Bible, Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, that's addressing God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, do you see why I divide it in half? The direction in the first portion is a concern for God. It focuses on God. The second half focuses on us. So firstly, this morning, the first point of the message is when we learn how to pray from Jesus, we need to resolve to pray for what's critical to God. God. You should resolve to pray for what is critical to God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So, in Jesus' model prayer for his people, he wants them to focus on God's purposes as their first concern. It's not that God needs us to pray for him, but instead, we need to be concerned. About his purposes when we pray. And notice that three are stated for us. Jesus states three of those purposes. First, pray that God's person would be valued. God's person would be valued. This is where it says, Hallowed be your name. And God's name is himself, his person. When it's trying to say, Hallowed be your name, it's him. Hallowed is kind of an archaic word, but it's related to the term holy. And the word holy means unique. One of a kind, or as we sang today in holy, 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 there is none beside thee. Is he unique there? One of a kind? Completely set apart. God is holy. No one and nothing is perfect in every way as he is. He is in a category all his own. He is holy. That's the way we can describe him. He's holy. Hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus is not teaching his disciples to pray that God would become holy, but instead that he would be treated as holy. You say, what does that mean? Well, marriage is a really good example of exactly what this means. You see, when a man marries a woman, he commits to love one woman completely till death do us part. That woman is set apart from every other woman on the face of the planet. He cares about that one woman unquestionably, forsaking all others. He hallows her. He values her supremely. You see it? So when we treat God as holy... We love him wholeheartedly. We give all of ourselves to him. It's the foremost command to love God. And by God's grace, we love him because he first loved us, John tells us. So the first request then is that we who truly know God would love him. Not only us, though, but that all nations would value him supremely. Our desire is that everyone would love God above all things. Hallowed be your name. That I would treat you that way, but everyone else would treat you that way too, Lord. That's the first concern, that God's person would be valued. Secondly, pray that God's kingdom would be accepted. Because we pray, secondly, your kingdom come. God's kingdom points to his sovereign rule over all things. Think of it this way, kids. God's in charge of everything he created, and he created everything. So he's in charge, period. Of course, like the first request, this is not a prayer that God would become the sovereign of the universe, that he'd win the election. No, he's already reigning over everything. Yet, of course, one day he will reign over it differently. And, of course, we pray and long for that future reign. But this prayer is that everyone today would bow the knee to the King of Heaven, that people, you and me and our neighbors, would accept him as the one who's overall, because he is overall. And if, you want to, if you want to make this even more personal, think of it this way. This prayer is asking God to extend his rule over every part of your life, your beliefs and your thoughts, your emotions and your desires, your words and your deeds, everything. Now, are you willing to give God that kind of access and authority? You know, most people would never give someone else unrestricted access to their cell phone. I mean, people put passcodes and passwords and fingerprint protection, what is on a cell phone. They do not want people to know what people do on here. And if that is the case, how much more do people protect what's in their heart? They don't want everyone to know. But God would have complete rule and control over every area of our life. So my question again is, are you willing to give God that kind of unrestricted access and authority? So when you pray his kingdom would come, it's that he would have that kind of authority in your life and in my life. That's your prayer. And that request is not only on an individual level, but on a worldwide level. That people would have that kind of acceptance of God's sovereignty. The first request is praying that God's person would be valued. The second request is that God's kingdom would be accepted. And thirdly, pray that God's will would be obeyed. Because it says, your will be done. God's will is what he wants. We know that God's will is good and perfect and pleasing. And in heaven we read, God's will is done. On earth it's another story. You pick up a newspaper, you watch the news... And very quickly you realize that people do whatever they want to do. They do as they please. Sometimes they, say it, they do it in the name of staying true to themselves or pursuing their own happiness. The problem with people doing that is it doesn't turn out good. The abortion rates are staggering. The suicide rate is staggering. The attempted suicide rate is staggering. The amount of money that's spent on intoxicating drugs and alcohol and entertainment is staggering. Just think of all that new LED lights we have in town. You know, God really wants so much more joy and happiness in our lives But if we're going to enjoy that, we have to want what he wants. We have to submit ourselves to him. God wants us to embrace Jesus, to become more like Jesus. So so Jesus is directing his disciples here to pray that they would want what God wants. That they would align their priorities with God's priorities. Say, what does that look like for me and you on an individual basis? Well, again, think about what we love to sing here. The hymn, Lord of Creation. Think through this stanza. Lord of Creation, I give you my will. In joyful obedience, your task to fulfill. Your bondage is freedom. Your service is song. And held in your keeping, my weakness is strong. There it is. We are praying that we would want what God wants. So in Jesus' model prayer, he taught us that we should pray for what's critical to God. And we need to be concerned about God's purposes in our prayers, that his person would be valued, that his kingdom would be accepted, and that his will would be obeyed. That's the first half of the model prayer. Now let's notice the emphasis of the second half of the prayer. Look at verses 11, 11, 12, and 13. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you see, the concern here is to pray for what is critical for us. Pray for what's critical for us. And the first request, then, is pray that God would provide our daily needs. because as give us this day our daily bread. And, of course, bread stands for the things that we need, rather than the things we wish we had. The things we really need. It's a, it's a request where we admit to God that, that we need him. That we rely on him. for the, Even the most basic of things. Now sometimes when we pray this, God answers miraculously. I hope you've read the, the autobiography of George Mueller. And you've read about that Englishman who oversaw an orphanage. And how he would often have all the children of the orphanage go to the table and thank God for the food, full well knowing there was no food. But just as they prayed time and time again, there was a knock at the door. And it just so happened at that very moment there was a milk cart that broke its wheel or a bread cart that broke its wheel. And all this food needed to find a place. And so again and again, God miraculously answered the prayer for their daily bread. Most of the time, God answers in a very mundane way by providing us jobs so we can put food on the table. But either way, we're praying that God would meet our needs. And it is a wonderful thing that God does that. I mean, when's the last day that you went hungry? We, we just don't know hunger here. We are so rich in America. And God has provided so much, but we often can forget that. We should pray that God will provide our daily needs. Secondly, we should pray that God would forgive the forgiving. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In contrast to physical needs, now the request is for spiritual needs. Osborne said, This and the next petition show that while earthly needs are important, spiritual needs are paramount. So this is a prayer that God would cancel our sin debts against him. And we spent a whole sermon about that last week. But what we do find in addition to that is what we seek in this request is what we freely give to other people. We want God to forgive us just as we forgive other people. It's only as we forgive others that we may have the confidence that we are forgiven. It's an admission that we may not harbor bitterness or coldness towards others and call for God to be kind and warm towards us. And perhaps this is the pandemic of many professing believers. Unforgiveness. It's the secret sin that proves their profession is false. But we're supposed to be willing to forgive those who've hurt us far less than the way that we've hurt God. I mean, just think of it. We've sinned against the Holy God versus what someone's done against us. If God can forgive us our sin, we ought to be able to forgive anyone for anything they've done to us. So this request is that there would be nothing between my soul and the Savior, that we would make everything right, that we would seek that that sin would be canceled to our account. That's the second request. And thirdly, this morning, pray that God would deliver us from evil. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know that James says that God does not tempt anyone, yet God does put people to the test. So, this prayer is one that we wouldn't fail when we're tested, but instead we would experience deliverance. So, Jesus is telling his disciples that there are pressures without, that there is evil around, but there is especially evil within. And he wants us in those times of, of testing to turn to him and to trust in him. That's what we need to do. You say, what do those testing times look like? Well, let's just think about two examples. On the one hand, think of times of prosperity. It's in times of prosperity, like in the church of Laodicea, that we feel we need nothing. We have everything we need. So I don't think I need God. What can't visa solve? And, and that's usually what people turn to, is just what their money can buy. Money can fix it. But the church, when it senses no need for God, it proves useless to God. It's neither cold nor hot. And that's the American issue. Because of our American means, we are often under this test of whether or not we're depending on God. It's so easy not to depend on God. On the other hand, there's the test of poverty. And it's in the times when we don't have, when we lack, that we're prone to despair. We're prone to lose hope. We can even get angry at God. So it's like the church of Smyrna. When they face poverty, when they face pressure, God said to them, don't fear. Instead, remain faithful to the end. Trust in me. Turn to me. Be content. Your heart needs to render a satisfied judgment of God's good and gracious providence. That's what it needs to have. So when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying that through all those times that God brings us into, that we will not fail. You see, our concerns and our prayers ought to be twofold, that we should pray for what is critical to God and pray for what's critical to us. And Jesus gives us a model prayer for how to pray. You say, why do I bring all this up? I bring this up because there are times that we go to prayer and we don't know what to ask for. It's like going to the restaurant, seeing all the things we could have and all the combinations we could choose, and we think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to order. So what Jesus so kindly does here is he helps us with that. He helps us know this is what you ought to pray for. This is what you ought to be concerned for. So, brothers and sisters in the Lord, as you give focused effort, especially during our season of prayer, to asking God for things, consider what Jesus said about the things that we should ask for, because indeed what he wants us to ask for are the best things that we could ever ask for. Father, we ask that you will help us to be assured that the prayer that Jesus Taught His disciples was good and one that they ought to emulate one that they ought to pray so Lord as as we desire to draw closer to you because you promise to be near all who call on you we pray that our requests would be showing that we care about what you care about and the things that are truly important Lord keep us from praying about things that don't matter so much, so often complaining about what you have chosen to do in our life. But Lord, instead, help us to trust you. Help us to turn to you. And we thank you for the grace that you provide at every moment so we can. We thank you for that in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.